right. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday. <laughs> you are correct. No, that's One right. Of these days I'm gonna like get to this, um, get to this thing and like know what day and time it is. It is Tuesday. It is 10 a.m. Central Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. It's a beautiful fall day, maybe a little bit warm where I am. Uh, and I am Kira and you are Phil and we are, are you there, God? It's Kira and Phil. All of that's true. First of all, don't go changing. <laughs> don't apologize for not knowing what day it is. No one ah. really knows what day it is. I was like, is it Wednesday? Is it Tuesday? What? It's an arbitrary it's idea anyway, isn't it? Anyways, um, I'm going to get really meta here on us in a second. Um, Kira, tell us more about yourself. Uh, I am an Episcopal priest. I'm the priest in charge of St. Anne's in Nashville, Tennessee. Nice. And I'm also an Episcopal priest. And I am uh, running a church in Cincinnati, Ohio called Church of the Redeemer. And uh, we get to get together once a week and and uh, talk to each other about like... Um, and answer questions. I don't really call it answering questions because like, what do we know? But like, it's a responding to questions and talk about ideas about that are God related, churchy stuff, Christianese, you know, the whole thing. Kira and I are both uh, God folks. You just muted yourself. I know I was because I was bringing up the YouTube video so I could see the chat. Um, Perfect. We got Betsy Gary joining us this morning. I'm trying to be a, a little more elegant about my um what's going on behind the scenes anyway i ruined um, that oh i totally yeah. undermined your ability your elegance i gotta tell you find it if you had a nickel for every time some knuckleheaded guy undermined your elegance you'd be a billionaire it's not fair it's not fair but um yeah. So, you know, and I think one of the things that is important to us in this conversation that we're having with each other, with you all who are watching, interacting with us, submitting questions is, um, you know, how does this Christiany thing, how does following Jesus, what does that look like in, in real life? What is that? How does that affect, you know, um, how we spend our time and how we spend our money and yeah. maybe like, who and what we vote for and uh you know all those all those things that we do with our lives how how are we how do we make decisions as christians that are faithful um but also like that acknowledge that we live in a real in a real world in a society if you will yeah and i can answer some of those questions really easily where what do i do with my time go to church <laughs> What do I do with my money? Give it to church. <laughs> oh, it's pledge season. No, but I, oh, um, I know. But I'll tell you what, you're right. And I think, you know, I think, and I think Episcopalians is a group, but also I think you and I, and as people, and, you know, I think we're like, we, we recognize we live in this world and that we're part of this world. And so then part of the questions that I think we either respond to from others or that we ask ourselves is like, what's this all got to do with real life? Mm-hmm. You know, not not necess- not just what does it require of me, although that's part of it, but like what is what's the I mean, this is the thing I keep thinking of, like, what's the narrative? What's the story that was being told about the world? Um, and I think that's our topic for today, for me anyway, mm-hmm. is actually connected deeply to the narrative we are meant to tell about the world. 
and and the thing that we're going to talk about rest today. And I think that our relationship to rest speaks to our narrative of how the world works. And so the Christian statements, the scriptural and historical statements about rest and and um and especially the what 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 should be the influence from our from our um Jewish ancestors, um, spiritual ancestors, and their understanding of Sabbath rest should inform our thinking deeply, um, whether they do or not, as I think something we'll discuss today. But good morning, Leslie's here too. Good morning, Leslie. Um, but we got a couple of questions. I don't know if you saw, but I asked, like we weren't, I don't know if you had a, I don't know if you were coming into this sort of planning on a specific thing you wanted to say about rest or an anecdote or a story. And we can go that way for sure, but we also do have at least a, two questions for the, from people about when I said we're going to talk about rest on our show, people said, well, I've got some questions. Yeah, I saw some of those questions. Um, I guess I, I want to <laughs> lift up an exchange that I actually had on Facebook with a parishioner, uh, a parishioner of mine who is a, a teacher. And... Um, you know, he, he posted, I often hope to catch an illness that's not too bad so I can catch up on work. Like I need three solid sick days so that I can work at home and perhaps get caught up. Wow. Maybe a stomach bug. And I, um, I recently on Sunday afternoon, I took a COVID test just as a precaution. I've, I've just been kind of out and about more than I have normally. Yeah. Um, I hadn't been experiencing any symptoms and I found myself kind of hoping it was positive. And I had like a positive wow. asymptomatic case so that I would have an excuse to quarantine. <laughs> um, it, it was negative. That's great. I'm happy to. We're happy to be, we are happy that you are COVID negative, but I yes. <laughs> understand your feeling. Um, but that, I mean, it, and it was an unbidden thought of just like, maybe this will be positive and I can rest for a few days. Like, and I'm like, not that far back from just coming back from vacation. So that, um, but just to lift up that feeling that I think a lot of us are feeling right now, mm. certainly in the church, but also in, definitely outside the church of just like, we are exhausted right now. And it almost feels like there's no amount of rest that we could get that would feel um life-giving <laughs> yeah yeah and and I you know I I'm I read a lot of stuff articles posts newsletters um of people kind of thinking and writing about like where we are societally like um kind of emotionally and and psychologically with and and this phase of the pandemic feels particularly challenging because like i was i was reading some stuff about it you know in the in the beginning when we were all kind of locked down there was certainly kind of like an anxiety and a fear um we didn't kind of know what was going to happen and now we're in this space of honestly feeling kind of hopeless is and angry is what i'm hearing yeah. from people especially um you know, in, in my lovely state where fewer than half of the people are, um, are, are vaccinated and, yeah. um, are the, vo the volunteer state. 
the volunteer state, you know, I think people have felt very, um, I mean, angry, not only at our neighbors who have not gotten vaccinated, but particularly angry at our leadership. Um, yeah. And, and there was a point in the pandemic where we were like, if we get the vaccines, then it will vaccinate everyone and it'll be over. And now that feeling of just kind of hopelessness yeah. is, um, is very, very challenging to, to live with and kind of speak to. Um, well, and everything you just said, yes, agreed. And, and also to point out, well, I don't feel connected to the people that are refusing to get vaccinated and who are um, refusing to mask. And I mean, I just have a hard time. While that's true, they're also really angry and feeling hopeless, which is not to say like, oh, both sides are equal, because I don't think that. Rather to say humanity is angry. Like, it's not just a group of us that are angry. Like the anger is something then, and the, and the hopelessness is something that's sort of pervading our, our thought, um, our thought process. Um, and, uh, and so you're right. I think that's true. I think that we're kind of like, we're very much in a transitional space. And when you're in a transitional space, first you have people who don't even acknowledge it's a transitional space. You have people that are saying, this is dumb, we need to get back to normal. And then you have, I think people like, like me and maybe like you who are saying, well, actually there's no going back. There's a going forward and that's really great. But guess what? We don't know what that's gonna look like either. So both are frustrated and in different ways. I mean, I talking, most of our parishioners, most of my parishioners at this church are fully vaccinated and are mostly on board with my, our stringent requirements for gathering at our church. And have been impressed with our, 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 our prioritizing safety and care of others most. But even, but the ones that aren't, and so that, and then that group, they're angry in this way. Mm -hmm. And then there's the folks that are like, looking at us like, at, why are you acting like this? You're making something out of nothing or you're making something that bigger than it needs to be. They're also angry. So again, not to validate the anger, but just to point out, everybody's freaking angry and everybody's freaking tired. <laughs> there are a few people that I've met who are like, I don't know, this thing hasn't affected me much. And I'm just like, I don't even know how to relate to you on a, on a <laughs> you know, but that's a whole other thing. That's a whole other thing. Um, so we're starting from the point of view while we talk about rest of acknowledging on some basic level that like everyone that we are interacting with is tired. And it's not just because they're not getting enough sleep. Right. We're talking about a soul. There's that too, but there's a soul tired, like a mental and spiritual exhaustion that people are experiencing right now. And it's got to be dealt with. Or it's going to just eat us up. Yeah. But I think a lot about how people say, you know, I, I, there's this two-edged thing where people are kind of like, well, like you, you need, you need to let yourself rest. You need to rest. But like, I don't think we really know what that looks like. No. You know, I mean, because <laughs> you also still need to get everything done. 
Well, it's like when people say like, we, well, we need to, we need to grieve. We need to allow people to grieve. We need to grieve ourselves. And it's like, I think people have an idea of what grief looks like. And it's, you know, we're at a funeral and we're crying and we're hugging each other, but like grief looks, grief and tiredness, like look so much different than that, you know, in the way it shows up in our daily lives. And so, you know, I, a lot of times I think grief manifests as like irritation and being <laughs> short tempered, yeah. um, yeah. Grief manifest, you know, it isn't just about being sad, like the way we kind of think about yeah. being sad and the same thing with sort of, with sort of rest, you know, when I think about like, I get home at the end of the day and I've had a long day. Mm. Um, you know, what I envision as rest is sort of like popping my feet up on the coffee table and binging some Netflix show or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. But that isn't, um, that is maybe relaxing, but it's not restful. It's almost recovery. Yeah. (laughs) I think we're getting rest and recovery mixed up a lot. So what do you think rest is then, Kira? Um, you or, know, or, I mean, I think or are you saying you don't know? I'm, I mean, I think I'm saying it's, first of all, it's definitely kind of individual for, for, peop, for each individual person in terms of like, what activity does that look like? Um, you know, I, I have been thinking a lot, and maybe you can speak to this, about parents and how, how does a parent rest? Yeah. Like, (laughs) um, I think for me, like my rest often involves like people just not needing anything from me for a little bit of time, you know? Um, and, and sometimes that means I'm getting outside. Sometimes that means I'm doing something that is kind of feeding my soul. Yeah. Um, you know, but when we, yeah, I, I just, I just checked my email before we got on this and I got, um, I had an email from this salon that I go to sometimes to get my nails or my a pedicure or whatever. And it said like, don't you need some self-care? And so like the way that like self-care, I think we, we conflate like self-care and rest and, um, and yeah, also yeah. like the way capitalism has sort of co-opted self-care as sure. something that, um, requires like, requires a pedicure or requires, um, you, you know, treating yourself with a pumpkin spice latte, uh, all of which are things I love to do. <laughs> right. But are they the things that solve the actual problem? Yeah. The no. idea, the idea that. Uh, uh, the way you feel is a problem that can be solved by buying something or experiencing a buying and you have to buy experiences mostly too. everything costs something is, is problematic. Um, Okay. So, well, I, you know, thinking about like the, the Jewish practice of, of Sabbath. I want, yes. Yes. So part of um, part of Sabbath is not just about the individual. It's not, so if I am, if I am partaking in a Sabbath, it is not just about me resting from tasks that I would normally do. 
it's also about me not um not oppressing others that's like a thing I think gets overlooked in um in like a lot of conversations about sabbath so if I on my sabbath go and um get my, get a pedicure, like I'm doing that. My rest is coming or my relaxation is coming at the expense of someone else who is, you know, scrubbing my feet. Which and, isn't necessarily oppressing them because you're giving them money. Right. But it is this kind of like, we're all then caught in this like cycle of labor where no one else can get rest, you know, like I find it incredibly convenient that Amazon will deliver a package to my door on Sunday. But like, I have a very conflicted feeling about that because that delivery worker shouldn't have to be working on a Sunday. That's right. Okay. I have so many thoughts here. <laughs> um, so first of all, to respond very quickly to one of the things that you mentioned because you were describing a feeling of not having something, somebody being relied upon. Um, as a parent, no, I, at this point in my life, I don't ever feel that and haven't for so long. I can't even remember. I, um, and when I am getting away from family and resting, I feel guilty because, so we don't live near family. Mm -hmm. And frankly, when we lived near family, I don't think any of them are watching this. They weren't very helpful to be completely honest. Sorry, if you're watching this in your family, love you. You weren't super helpful when we had little kids. So um, some some were like, some were minorly helpful uh, momentarily. And the idea of them being nearby was helpful because in an emergency, we could be like, here, that's, that's yeah. real. That was very real. But on like a structured sense of like, I, you know, when people are like, I just couldn't do this without my family. Like, mm -hmm. like uh, I just couldn't get by without, uh, well, that's never been our case because, because um, we were always, we'd, we'd always have to ask in advance and kind of like put people out to get help. We didn't live inside a structure where, where being like, like creating spaces of rest for us was anybody else's priority, mm. which to be fair, that's true for most people, but there are, there, I'm sorry, let me take a, take a step back. That's true for most white people in 21st century American middle-class. <laughs> However, there is, there is um, when you look at the history of humanity, the vast majority of human history was not, has not been lived out in what we understand as the nuclear family. Right. In a little unit, in a little house, on a little street, self-contained, where this person has this role and this person has this. Most of human history has been lived out in much more community oriented and even tribal settings where children are growing up together in a real way where there are multiple generations living near each other and among each other and with each other and different people taking different parts of the burden at different times now i'm not trying to idealize some you know imagined past where they had it better than we, if we could just get back to that because they had terribly low life expectancies, high infant mortality rates. Um, they didn't have am, you know, they didn't have Amazon delivering things to their doorstep. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, they didn't, they didn't have uh, Spotify. Um, so really, you know, I like my life. I don't. Whenever we talk about like what human history has done historically, I or, or what human culture has done historically, I don't mean to like idealize it. Rather, I mean to say, right. in the many ways that we've done these beautiful sort of uh, developments of culture and 
we're part of this kind of, we're, we've developed culture this particular way, or we've participated in a culture that's developed in a certain way. We've gained a lot, but we've also lost certain things. And are there things that we need to reclaim to move forward? Because one of the things we've lost is what you just talked about, rest, okay? And what I wanna say, and you mentioned self-care, and our friend, our mutual friend, Gray Maggiano asked a question of us um, where he said, well, when it comes to rest, you know, at what point is it self-care and at what point are you just being selfish? When is it not self-care and just being selfish? Which, uh, Gray, I will say it feels like a really loaded question <laughs> for the record, but I'm going to take it honestly and say, I actually... I kind of don't care about self-care. I actually think the whole idea of it's ridiculous in some ways. Um, I, I was realizing while you were talking, you gave me a, you, you gave me a gift today, Kira. Like I've already, if we stop now, I'm already a better person or whatever. Can't you all tell? Can't you? No, I actually, I don't actually believe people become better. So that's not a thing I believe, but um, I don't, I don't believe in self-improvement, but I, I, you, you, you were saying um, when you were describing rest and you were describing needing spaces and needing to get the nails done and needing to just go for a walk and just like all those pieces, right? One of my, one of my mentors has said to me very helpfully, and I have used this for others too. He always talks about like, you are the most important person in your life because no one, you have to look out for yourself and take care of yourself and give yourself the rest because it's no one else's job to do it, but you. And if you don't like, and when you're leading an organization, if you're not doing okay, then that bleeds down. That's yeah. what that, you want to talk about trickle down. Like your dysfunction trickles down. Fair, all true, all good. And he uses this example of, and, and this all sounds like I'm about to be pro self-care. So just hold on a second. Cause he uses the example of, listen, what do they tell you on the airplane? Put the mask on yourself or you won't be able to, if the, when the masks drop down on the airplane, put yours on first before you put it on anyone else. You'd think, oh, there's a little child. I got to put it on them first. But if you pass out, you're no good to that child. That's right. the idea. Here's the, I'm still on board with all that. I love that. Except, except when you have to use an example of a traumatic plane crash scenario <laughs> to describe how you should be taking care of yourself in everyday life. I've never thought about that until today. I've been using this example of the air things popping down the air masks. I have flown hundreds of times in my life. Hundreds. Yes. How many times have the masks Zero. dropped from the ceiling? Zero. Yeah. <laughs> and anyone who it's happened to even once, they'll never shut up about it for the rest of, oh my God, it happened to me once. I'll never believe. <laughs> they won't even go on a plane again if that thing drops down. We are constructing lives where we think that it's wise to put the mask on yourself instead of like building a plane that doesn't, that flies in such a way that the pressure doesn't drop, right? Which if the, if, if, by the way, if, if it was a regular occurrence when you were on a plane that the air pressure disappeared and you had to put a mask on, you wouldn't fly that airline, <laughs> right? Oh, I love Delta. A little annoyed that uh, one every four times I fly on it, the masks drop down because the air pressure. You would be like, don't ever take Delta. Yeah. Right? I got no problem with Delta. Cincinnati's a hub. God bless you. But the, but you get my point. So anyways, you're making me think. So, so self-care hinges on the idea that uh, the way our system is working and the way that we operate within this world 
is actually fine that riding around on planes where the masks are dropping down all the time. And so what you just need to do is get used to putting the mask on yourself first. Yeah. That's- Take some you time. <laughs> take some you time. Put that little mask on you before you put that on other people. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, right? And so, and so the question that Gray asks, like when is it self-care and when is it just being selfish? Gray, I don't even care. Because, because yes, you and I, we all have, we know people who are, who are, who are, um, I don't know, selfish or whatever, like who have bad boundaries and a lot of things like that. Um, and as Leslie says, to be fair, a lot of people who think self-care is important are experiencing and recovering from trauma that they have been trained to think is everyday life. Yes, I agree completely. And in that sense, because you are in the middle of a trauma and a traumatic reality, thinking about yourself and your self-care is important, Leslie. So if I, I should make sure I, I don't speak too flippantly about that because because there are whole groups of people in our society who are told not to take care of themselves, that their selves don't matter. Like, I don't know, the majority of humans um, in America are women and y'all are second-class citizens and you're the majority. So yes, agreed. Like you should be, will, you should be encouraged to care about yourself and to put yourself in the center in some way. I mean, we're supposed to put God's at the center, but like God doesn't want us to hate ourselves actually. And God doesn't want us to be marginalized and treated like garbage. So, so, and, and what about creating systems in the world on a practical level where rest in a real and practical sense is built in. And that includes what you just said, Kira, which I think responds to Leslie's point. That includes not expecting things of others, which can be traumatic for them. Like the, the and then you go, well, Phil, what is this magical thing? Does such a thing exist? I'm so glad you asked because the Jews have been doing it for literal thousands of years. And there's nothing in Christianity that suggests to the contrary that we shouldn't be doing it either. Jesus healing one person on the Sabbath is not an excuse for us to never take a day off. Yeah. <laughs> the Sabbath. Yeah, I mean, also, Jesus routinely, I mean, it's all throughout the scripture. Oh, it just Jesus takes a break. Routinely goes on retreat. He goes up the mountain to pray. So um, I want to talk about self, not self-care in the way that we're used to talking about it mm-hmm. as recovery. And I think you get Leslie again. I think that's important. I want to talk about if we took seriously building into our life, our systems that in which we are involved, our workplaces, our extracurricular activities, a Sabbath, which described very clearly in scriptures is a day where you don't do anything where nothing is expected of you and you expect nothing of anyone else, period. Where there's nothing to achieve, accomplish, or earn for a whole day, every single week. And that doesn't count the rest that you get every day because they lived in a culture in a time when that was written, no electricity, it's dark, you're done. You're maybe you're, lighting a candle. You're done. But... <laughs> right. Like, like, rest is built into your day, every day. 
And then rest is built into your weekly rhythm every single week. What might that look like? You know, I read, um, I read an article and I don't remember where it was or who wrote it, but it was kind of about coming up with, uh, you know, I, I feel this way, a lot, you know, if somebody, if something comes up, I'm like, yes, let's do that. Um, this is when we can go to obedience training school for the dog. And this is like, you know, I have got a meeting tonight, so I won't be cooking dinner or like, you know, there's yep. all kinds of things that, um, I'm kind of pulled in every direction <laughs> yep. in other words. And this article talked about particularly for, for families, for people, you know, who live together, basically like kind of coming up with like core values or core scheduling things that like in the, in the example, this one, this woman said, you know, our, our priority is, um, you know, family time. And so we have a commitment to eat dinner together every night at six 30. Yeah. And, uh, so when her son was offered to be on this soccer team, but the soccer practices ran from five 30 to seven, she said it was an easy no, because yeah. like, this is, this is the commitment to but have this made. time together as a family. And, um, that sounds both very freeing and very difficult to me. <laughs> like, but the difficulty is the pressure of feeling like you have to fit into a, a structure that is designed for you never to have quiet time. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to bring up a very controversial organization right now. Ooh. One that I refuse to uh, use. But does this. Chick-fil-A. Is it Chick-fil-A? It is Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays and they tell you it's so our people can have a day to worship and rest. And we have very big concerns about Chick-fil-A's uh, consistent negative track record with our LGBTQ plus siblings. And that needs to be uh, dealt with and it needs to be addressed. And, and, it's, and it's reason enough to boycott a place. No question. No question. And also they literally sacrifice millions and millions of dollars every year by being closed on a day when people are, are, I mean, a Sunday is a natural fast food day. Yeah. you got, you know, you got to eat lunch right after church or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So they do this. They say, and it's closed at the airports, just blank. People are walking yeah. by Atlanta airport. They that's, I mean, the airports, you know, we drive by it. It's closed. There's a plate. There's a chicken place across the street called Cane's. That isn't homophobic and we like their chicken, but on a Sunday we can go there. They never close. <laughs> and like, I, I, I want us to recognize that there's actually something profoundly healthy about an, a multi-million dollar, billion dollar organization that says, I get it. I get it. We could be open and make more money. We're not going to because of our values. We can disagree with some of their values. That is fine. That is fine. Can we see that there's literally a successful business that has literally said, here's a whole day of the week. We will not, we won't. And they don't say, we'll find some people who aren't Christian and we'll let them work on Sundays. Yeah. Like they don't do that. They're just like, we don't work. Our business doesn't do it. Yeah. You know, what's fascinating is like the way that, um, that happens on like an annual basis on like companies that won't be open on like Thanksgiving. Yeah. Like 
people, you know. But so imagine the different, and we all have our, and we all have our annual days off. Imagine if it was just built in expectations of your weekly life. And then look at the questions we have on our chat, which are directly to this. Leslie says, I need another day off work then to take care of the stuff I need to do at businesses that are closed on Sunday. Agreed. I I didn't know that I believed in a four-day work week until like the last, I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. And I feel like a, I feel like a, a, a grubby communist for saying this. Um, um, but again, I'm not one just for the record. I'm not one. Um, it makes me really uncomfortable that I root for a team called the Reds. It makes like an actually You're not action. one yet. <laughs> I actually, when you made, when you made some critical comment about capitalism earlier, I just sat there being like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to defend capitalism today. Not today. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let Kira have her moment. But <laughs> anyways, my point is, I mean, dude, I, I, we, you could do four, you could do four tens instead of five eights which people, and, and, and do a 40 hour work week and still have three days. If you were, if the 40 hours is the point. You can yeah, do Yeah, there's also tens. nothing inherently like, that's not handed down from on 40, high. 40, 40, it's not in the Bible. I pull up my phone for the Bible because my Bible's on my phone, but also here's a Bible. Um, uh, it's not, you're right. It doesn't say 40 hours. That's true. Um, and so, so yeah, I would say we would need to be part of a place that wasn't oriented around us working quite the way we work. And then, and then I, I want to, what Annie says, does rest equal Sabbath? Are they interchangeable or is it okay to be both and rest can be something else as well? Well, I, I think if, again, if we're just speaking kind of in this sort of um, ancient Jewish and biblical spiritual sense of Sabbath, Annie, and then Kira, tell me if you think I'm nuts here. Sabbath is a very specific day. Mm-hmm. But then again, as I said, there every day has rest built into it. Like the idea that we're like, we all know what it's like to feel guilty for not working during a time when there's no reason for us to feel that way. We feel guilty about allowing rest every day in our lives. I literally had, like I got home from work at like five or six the other day and didn't, and, and like, was like, I'm not gonna do any more work and felt bad. Now I have certain deadlines. I've got this very popular YouTube show I do with a friend on Tuesdays. And I've got some, you know, you know, and I've got my, my Pulitzer Prize winning blog. Um, but like, you know, uh, and a sermon to write and things like that, those are those spaces. But like, yes, Annie, I think, so I think Sabbath is meant for rest, but Sabbath is also a specific kind of rest, a holy, divinely ordained space that is meant to help us see that um, we're not, that we can rest and God has got us, that the world does not actually revolve around us. So there's a spiritual religious element to Sabbath, which is why it makes sense to go to worship on Sabbath. Yeah. I was going to say part of the Sabbath is a time for worship. Right. And so, I mean, I think a lot of people experience the church or attending worship as another thing to do. You know, I have to shower and do my makeup and get dressed and get the kids in a, you know, I don't have kids, but speaking, you know, <laughs> um, get the kids, you know, cleaned up and in the car. And, and that in and of itself does not feel 
restful. And I guess I'm wondering, I don't know if this is particularly a question, but I'm wondering what it would look like for church or for worship on a Sabbath day, whatever that might look like to, to actually be restful and to feel, um, to feel fulfilling and to feel like it feeds rather than it's another thing on the long list of things that I've got to do this weekend. Yeah. Well, we're, what's funny, we've changed our Sunday schedule and right now it feels very, we're feeling as the people who run it very sort of like rushed because it's very production heavy. Like it's four services in a day and three right in a row, eight, nine, and 11 with all this stuff. But, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, part of my reason for doing that is we were, we had two services going on at the same time and everything at the church felt very rushed before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. just felt very hectic and busy. And we're actually trying by like by changing service times and by changing the way that we were ordered, even though for those of us who are running it, but that's all look at the priests are busy on the Sabbath. We know that, but for the people who come, the goal is to create a more well-paced and restful present sense like we're here we're not here and over here and split and trying to blow it's not that we're just here this is where we are isn't that great right and i think you're right like creating that energy great gray just wrote that in israel they have a six-day work week in israel but they're much better rested and happier because they have an actual sabbath biblical sabbath we're on that day, they're not doing anything now. I can't speak to other people's happiness. I'm always skeptical when people say they're happy, but um, I will say, um, but I will say, um, you know, there's also a Mediterranean mentality of, of like, you, your workday can consist of you going and get a pedicure in the middle of the day, Kira. Like if you're in a Mediterranean, no, I know, right? I know. Like, <laughs> But like, true. <laughs> you could just go and, I mean, like, and Leslie, you could go, go and do errands in the middle of your work week, go get your, like, and it still be work day. Like that's part of the thing is that the expectation of specific hours being met and quotas being fulfilled in that way is actually kind of like, it's created as we're cogs, right? I sound like a conspiracy yeah. theorist now. No. <laughs> Leslie's no, like, Yeah. I mean, I think this goes into, I mean, as much as we try to make rest or Sabbath or self-care or whatever, like we put that on the responsibility of the individual. And we say like, if you aren't resting, if you aren't taking care of yourself, then it's sort of your fault when really like we're working, maybe I'm going to sound like a, um, you know, what do you call a filthy communist? (laughs) But (laughs) the way at least our American middle, upper middle-class, middle-class system is set up is like, we don't, um, it's, it's part of the system, right? Like we're at the, uh, that we're working at the behest of other people for the Mm. most part. Um, and, and like, even, you know, even churches and even parachurch organizations as employers do a really bad job (laughs) at, um, at being flexible at, um, you know, I think maybe one of the blessings of the pandemic, hopefully, is that it has disrupted enough that yeah. like, there's some sense of, hey, if you're not going to start work until nine, 930 or whatever, because you've got to take your kid to school, like, that's fine. 
you know, we trust, we trust you to do the work that needs to get done. And And, uh, I'm going to, yes, (laughs) I'm going to say something like kind of, I think it, I mean, I think it's wrong almost while I'm saying it. Um, I don't know. It feels like an uncharitable thing to say, but I don't know how, and I'm trying to figure it out. I like, I know we'd like to think that the culture is all going to change because of this pandemic. And I think to some degree it will. It, what it needs is people who are in positions like yours and mine, who actually just say, no, we're just going to create a more just system in our work environment. We need to see employers and, and, and managers of people advocate for that. And that's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. But when we can sneak ourselves into those positions where we can be subversive to that culture, then we have to withstand the external pressure and create more just systems of employment. We always have just systems. I mean, social justice types love to talk about systems, 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 and I'm becoming one of you and it's awful. The system, system, oh, the system. But like this church is a system. Redeemer is a system. So what, so, so the thing you just said, I need to be able to say when, when, when one of the people who works here says, um, yeah, I just, I can't come in because of this thing, or I'm just not, it's not okay. Or I'm not okay. Or, or this family member, or I've got, or just, I got this, I'm late because of this thing. My attitude has to be, okay. And we have, and, and, and that scares people because they go, but, 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 but am I hiring lazy people or freeloaders or people with, with entitlement? Um, I, 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 I don't know, maybe actually I'm supposed to say no, but maybe, I don't know, maybe you are, but like, maybe. <laughs> also it, you're hiring people. <laughs> right. They're humans. They're humans. <laughs> uh, not, not, not right. And so, so what I, what I think is when we focus on bringing people in that we can learn from and trust and appreciate respect and value and then create certain guidelines and expectations and then allow them to work within that in trust. And by the way, and by the way, when you get up into the upper echelon of work environments, that's how people are treated anyway. Right. (laughs) Nobody, nobody questions a CEO golfing. And maybe it's a work golf. I mean, that's fine. Maybe it's a work meeting with someone and it's worth, that's fine, but no one questions it, right? If I, if I invite, you know, in me, I'm, I run this organization. If I, if I take someone out to, to lunch and the church pays for it, no one questions that, right? It's a lunch, but if I'm, you know, it's, but it's work. I don't know. I guess I'm just saying like, we already recognize that people can be trusted to make some of those decisions. But there's a real classism involved. It's like, we've got to, but this goes back to the thing Leslie said that I want to jump on. Leslie says, she's totally, she's making jokes, but I think it's fantastic. Employers be like, 40 is a theme in the Bible though. Why shouldn't we use that number for 40 for hours worked? Jesus fasted for 40 days and nights. How come you can't work for 40 hours a week? What I love about that, Leslie, this is so great. The number 40 is used repeatedly in scriptures to mean way too long. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Like that's the best part of you using that. It, 40 it's just years like, in the wilderness. 40, 40 years, years is too long. 40 days. It's, it, it is, it is, it is actual biblical shorthand for a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> it's biblical shorthand for like, there should have been a better way. So, so, I mean, Jesus fasting for 40 days is absurd. It's also miraculous, but it's absurd. The reigning for 40 days and 40 nights literally destroys creation. 
right? The wandering for 40 years kills off a whole generation. I've got an idea. We need to do a 40 year wandering. And never mind, separate. I'm not going to make fun of boomers today. Um, but yeah, so even you saying 40 hours, our whole idea of even just codifying how many hours. I just. Yeah. Also, like who. Who actually works? For, I mean, who works 40 hours? You know, I mean, I know, like. I mean, my husband works at a, you know, a company that's maybe about 100, 150 employees. Um, he routinely at least is at work. I don't watch him working, so I can't say, uh, you know, about 50, 50 to 55 hours a week. Right. I work how many and how many and if I work a certain number of nights, even if it's fewer hours. It takes chunk the kind of job you and I have imagine like you know you, you you I have three kids right like who who are who have a normal Monday through Friday schedule with soccer on the weekends right and you and I don't have normal schedules no. so I work on Sundays and I work in evenings so that I can work around other people's so are my hours the same as is an hour preaching the same as an hour on a podcast or an hour studying or an hour lunch? I mean, are they, are the each hours, are is the each hour qualitatively the same? It's, it's BS. We know it's BS. Yeah. And, and how do you, how do you quantify work? Have you ever, have you ever come up with what you're going to say for a sermon in the shower? I know the answer. <laughs> the answer is or yes. like, or if I'm watching a movie and I'm like, that would be a great illustration for. So if I go to the movie and I come up with something for my following Sunday, do I then take that receipt and get, re get, and get <laughs> a, a, a expensed? Right. If I make bread for my congregation, which I do from time to time, does the church pay for the, for the flour? I mean, it's things like that. Like where we just go like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah, I think um, for me, it really is about what what would it look like to really try to use our imagination and think about what would a life look like that didn't require us to um, separate times out for rest. You know, I mean, I think a lot of us, um, particularly clergy, particularly people in my kind of same socioeconomic class, we talk a lot about vacation, right? Like, oh. Can't wait for, can't wait for, for vacation. Oh yeah, I just got back from vacation. But like for a long time, people didn't go on vacations. Like, right. Going not, on a vacation? What is like, what even is a vacation? You know, um, so. You know what like, it is? It's self-care. It's self-care. So like, what does it look like to, to build a life? And what would it look like to live in a cultural system that valued periods of rest and activity. And, and I do think that the Bible and our faith life kind of provides for a, um, an alternative schedule from the one that we get, right? Yes. Like where, where Monday, you know, we have cycles of feasting and fasting. We have cycles of, you know, rest and cycles of activity. Um, and we have cycle ideally, you know, culturally for a long time, people had, you know, period when somebody died in your family, there were sort of set periods of, of grieving and, you know, yep. not again, not that those were perfect. They could, you know, people chafed at 
restrictions and having to be told what to do, but none of this kind of like, oh, your mom died, you know, get back to work next week. Like, yeah. Where'd you go? I'm here. I'm okay, just <laughs> going. Don't stop. Like I'm listening. Um, I'm enthralled. Don't stop. I was like, wait, why'd she stop? Is she frozen? I'm in. No. I'm in. So all of that to say, I mean, and this is something I, I need to do a better job of. I'm, I'm not, you know, wanting to say that like, I've got this all figured out and like get on my level. Um, but I think that's where something like coming up with a rule of life, uh, not, and again, that's not something that's just like for clergy or just for like professional religious people. Um, it's, it's something that could be used for everyone. And it's that way of kind of naming core, you know, what's important to you, what's important to, um, your, your family, you know, maybe it's getting outside once a week and going on a hike or, you know, I, I will say I developed this rhythm once I got a dog where Fridays were Fridays are my day off from church. Fridays are adventures with Ruthie day. And so I would take the dog and I would go to a, a hiking trail I hadn't been to or a park that I hadn't been to, or, um, you know, and it was not something that I kind of would allow myself to do without the dog. But like, I was like, well, I'm doing it for the dog. You know, <laughs> It's our chance to kind of get like off campus. Um, and that kind of became a really, like a really fun thing I would kind of look forward to. And Thursday, I'd be like, I wonder where we should go tomorrow. You know, uh, yeah. And so it's just like, I mean, it doesn't have to be big things. It can be, you know, what, what is, what feeds your soul? Is it, creating art, you know, it, it can be, um, time with your family, your kids, like that. I know, I know friends that, uh, bless their hearts. I don't know how they do this. They'll do a whole household, like no technology weekend, no screen weekend. Ew. Ew. (laughs) Oh, 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 I'm sure good good for them. No, I know. But it, it's challenging but, yeah. to um, make that time and to, you know, and they'll print off recipes beforehand so they don't have to look them up on the, on the internet. Um, Part of it is they're creating a space of expectation where they know that they aren't like, this is their, their time for them. Yeah. Yeah. I have someone calls self-care and might be right, but we're talking about it in a different way. Yeah. We're talking about rhythms of rest. There's a family that I love and I, um, and I don't think they're, they are not Christian or faith, you know, people of faith practicing any kind of faith, but they, um, you know, it's, it's two parents and their son and maybe once a month they do like a Saturday where they just pile in with a bunch of books and tea or coffee or whatever beverage. And they just spend the whole day like reading together. I really, I, I can't wait for my, the more my kids are reading, the more fun it is. I could see something like that happening. I'm, and I'm getting back into reading for pleasure, which I have not been doing for years. Um, uh, we do have someone, uh, Mireya uh, is, has, is on our chat and she has made a point that I think is worth acknowledging, especially since she works for me. It's really good when she says she likes her job. Um, but her, <laughs> point is, her point is really important because I do want to acknowledge this. We do, uh, one thing I've noticed in the language around like needing rest and, and a lot of our friends, the, the social, like the, all kidding aside, like the capitalism, argh, like angry against capitalism stuff is, is like this real undercurrent of like, 
work like you literally described like oppressing others as like going and giving someone money to do something for you on your day off like they're probably psyched you gave them money now i understand the larger point of do they get rest or have we created a culture that's perpetual motion and there's no rest your larger point totally but we do have this idea that somehow all work is inherently bad but Medea points out hard to stop working when you enjoy what you do or when you feel called to it. You end up doing it all the time, even when you're trying to rest winky face and winky face back. I agree. Like I freaking love my job, love my job. Like actually though, like, like I totally believe I'm here for this and that it's important and I enjoy it. Like I've had moments where I'm like, <laughs> this is, this is work. You and me doing this is like you and I consider this work and it's a weird thing to describe to people because it feels self-important when I do, but mm -hmm. I think what we're doing is work. And I, but I'm also like, I get to talk to Kira today. Yeah. Right. I'd also say like probably the vast majority of people are not in what they would call like their vocations. Like is the person bagging groceries at the grocery store. But I wonder uh, but I wonder if part of that is because people, because of how we value certain labor oriented jobs mm -hmm. and treat people in those positions as if they are stepping stone jobs, like, like the, like electrician is, a, and a, it's a really good job, yeah. but we, anybody, but anybody who's doing anything that's not, that's, that's, that's what we would call blue collar. We absolutely treat them like they've been given a short end of the stick. And maybe that's because it's how they're paid and treated and told that it's not important. Well, and I think there's a big difference. I mean, something like electrician, I could see that being very fulfilling because it requires your problem solving, yes. your being creative. Um, you know, I mean, yes, it involves kind of working with your hands and, you know, in some sense, kind of hard bodily labor. It's not, you know, sitting in a cushy office. But I think there are a lot of jobs, whether they pay well and are considered white collar or they're not, where it's a very like rote, yes. there isn't a lot of fulfillment yes. in yes. that work. Yes. And I think that's something um, that we need to, to kind of acknowledge, pay that. attention to. Absolutely. I mean, like even the difference between, do you have, I'm sure you have Aldi where you are. Yeah, I won't go there, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> But so at Aldi, you know, they allow um, their cashiers and then most places in Europe as well, their cashiers sit during the day while they're oh, wow. scanning. So like, why not? a little more comfortable, you know, right. they're not having to, to stand. Um, so the, I think there are ways of making even kind of the most oh, yeah. mindless, you know, right. um, you know, rote labor, even if it's being at a desk and entering in spreadsheets, right? I think there are ways for that to be, um, you know, how, how do we make jobs like that sort of more, more fulfilling, more creative? Yeah. Uh, because yeah, I mean, I, I think there is yeah. a messaging that work is bad, but I think a lot of people, um, if they have this experience where work, whether it's something they're being paid for or not, is is exciting and it's fun and even like i mean like we've talked about i we like to cook and bake because there's yeah. something at the end and we get to use parts well, it's, of our it's, mind it's do you believe in what you're doing like in the sense of like menial tasks aren't bad when you believe that they're contributing towards something that's meaningful 
Exactly. Yeah. Like, right? I mean, so holding laundry. It's I the whole office. It. It's the whole <laughs> office space. It's the whole office space thing when he's telling the truth to the yeah. Michaels in that scene. And he goes, what's the point? If I, if I work a little extra harder and, and in a tech pushes a couple extra units, it doesn't affect me any, and he doesn't care about them. He doesn't care about the product. So yeah, I mean, I think you're right. When the whole goal is just to make enough money to survive, that's painful. And we, again, and that's a culture we've created or that we're complicit in. I do want to go back though for a second to Midea's point or a, a question. So when you love your job, you do not know how to let go sometimes. That is my biggest problem. Mm. How do I let go and rest from a thing that I love? I think recognizing, I think uh, this past pandemic, I think the pandemic has helped because I have been so burned by something that I love. So, so exhausted and, and beat up by something that I care deeply about. And not because it was abusive, just because it's a traumatic time that I'm recognizing that even the things that I love, I need to step away from. And I also think, Mireya, it's really important for us to step away from things that we love and that we feel called to, because especially when you feel called to something, we're all people, which means that we're great. It also means we're all sinful, by the way. I'm a Christian and I believe we're all miserable sinners that I love and that God loves no matter what. And part of the sinful thing that happens is something whispering in our ear that says, you better not rest because this thing can't survive without you. It's not just you're not valuable if you don't work. It's also we know people who think it'll all fall apart if they don't overwork. And those people are just as obnoxious as the people that don't work hard enough. Yeah, I think that's really, um, that's a really important point because ideally, um, you know, of course I like to like receive accolades for, for whatever I might yeah. do. Uh, but like, I need to know that I can go away for a week and the whole church won't come crashing down yeah. because like, it's very easy to get into a place as a leader, as a, you know, leader of an organization. Pick this thing up on my um, back and carry it over that line. <laughs> Like that it's rely, you know, the success or failure of any yes. project, ministry, parish, whatever is all on me when I need to be reminded that it is, it's on God. Yes. I am and, in a dangerous place with that right, right now, right now. I am very much in a dangerous place where I'm actually in that headspace where I'm thinking I can't, you were like, you got a COVID test. I got a COVID test last week. I was also not symptomatic, but I was in a space with someone who ended up testing positive breakthrough case. We were both masked, but out of, as they say, an abundance of caution, an abundance of caution. Um, mainly because like we had an agreement within our church that if someone said you do this, I was, I'm okay, I'll go get the test. So I went and did it. And you were like, oh my gosh, like if I had an asymptomatic case of COVID, then I could, you know, I could chill. I was like, I can't have COVID. I've got these things going on this weekend. I couldn't possibly. Yeah. And they, the church, it's got to have me. And, and, and I've got to be strong so that other people can. And here's a big thing. I've, this is my, my big, one of my, one of my myriad weaknesses is the mentality of, well, I've got to be strong so that other people are allowed to be human. Yes. Well, that's totally effed up, <laughs> but I do, but I, but, it, but that's, in, that, that's the, the psychosis. There's a, a 
there's an Al-Anon piece to that adult child of alcoholic piece to that, mm. um, mm-hmm. growing up in an alcoholic system and, and being around a lot of addicts and people who have, who have, uh, uh, that kind of situation where they can't be dependent upon in certain ways. Um, you find yourself being hyper-responsible and then thinking that that's the reason why everything works. And the sad oh, yeah. thing is you're right. Sometimes Yeah, right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Just enough that you feel like you're right all the time in that. Mm-hmm. So we don't know when to rest because we, we, we are trying to be, we're trying to make up for where we all think we're living this big group project and we're the only ones doing the work. Ooh, that resonates. <laughs> um, I'm like really inspired genuinely in my heart by this conversation. Oh, good. What, um, is, what do you find most inspiring? Or what are you going to take with you into the rest of your I'm going to I'm going to continue to find ways to build this into my daily life and I'm going to be more so so by the way I haven't said this by the way I'm in the midst of a a, a 3 week stretch without a day off Meanwhile meanwhile in my <laughs> meanwhile right meanwhile insisting in my staff meeting that everybody pick their two that are full-time employees pick their two days off and stick to them no matter what. Mm-hmm. So I'm not only overworking myself, but I'm doing it hypocritically. And I'm thinking, well, as long as I can get everyone else to do it. Now, this is a tricky one. Let me give you a, this, let's, friends, we're going to give you, Chris, Kira and I are going to give you a real life, churchy problem to solve. Neither Kira nor I could take this weekend off because we had weddings to do, which are important to people. So if I'm and guessing, also to Maria's point, very fun and lovely it. occasions. Who would, by the way, a part of who the who the heck wouldn't want Kira Austin Young officiating their <laughs> wedding? She is all up in your gazebo, crushing it with blessing. What's the question? That means that on a Friday, most likely. That means that on Friday, Kira had to, even if she had the rest of the day off on Friday, even if the rest of her Friday was relaxing, she had to call her up and go do a wedding rehearsal. And then on a Saturday, she had to go and do a wedding, which you could say, and again, even if the rest of her Saturday, which it wasn't, but even if the rest of her Saturday was restful, um, and mine was actually, but I still know that that day I I am overseeing a ritual that, that the two people in it have been waiting for their entire lives and have certain hopes and expectations pinned on. And the person who's emceeing that, who's running that is me. Yeah. <laughs> and sure, if the marriage works or not, that's on them. But if the wedding sucks, they will remember. <laughs> no pressure. So does that hour of me doing that wedding count differently than the hour of me reading, you know, reading Mark, you know, reading the Bible? I think we know the answer, right? So now I have a wedding this weekend because it's a wedding log jam from COVID that's starting to unload. Yeah. (laughs) And this wedding I've agreed to do is out of town. So I won't be at church. People will think that I took the time off. I am leaving my family. My, My wife will have to take care of the three by themselves for a weekend. That's no fun for her. Flying to another state, doing a wedding rehearsal in a wedding. All beautiful. Everything you said, love it. Going to be fun. Now here's the question. Do Kira and I then take, we just say, I will not be working Monday or Tuesday. 
I have decided that I have to work on Friday and Saturday. So I'm going to take, or at least one day off in the middle of the week, a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday or Thursday. And if we do that, will people be like, what do we pay this person for? (laughs) We work for nonprofits where we have to once a year ask you to, and you don't have to do it. You don't have to buy our product. All this brilliant wisdom from today is absolutely free. Like, so where, where, what do we do? I'm not asking for sympathy, by the way. I'm just like, this is the kind of dilemma of the loving your job and, and not knowing where to break and what it looks like. Cause when I do want to break the pressure, I feel to like, is it okay for me to just take a Tuesday off? (laughs) I will say I am, um, kind of taking at least sort of half days off (laughs) to try and like account for it. So, um, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow morning, you know, my first obligation tomorrow isn't until 3 PM. And so I'm going to like take the morning because our gutters are getting replaced again, not exactly like restful, but, um, you know, gives me a little, a little bit of a breather. I'm not going to bounce out of bed as early as I normally do. So, um, but yeah, I know. I think Mm. that that struggle of, um, how to, how to create moments of rest and renewal in our, in our lives is, is a critical one. If we like plan on surviving and this and well, and here's the thing that I want to, I want us to like come because I know we got to wrap up going back to the very first point. Yes, you're right. If we want to survive, yes. But also it's not just because if you want to survive, It's literally commanded by God. God so ordered the world that if you do this, it is actually you fulfilling like part of the way you're meant to live in the world. So it's it's obedience to the only one who actually matters. It's, it's, It's like, well, how can I do that? I don't know. How can you breathe? Cause that's what we're talking about. Right. I mean, so yes, it is about survival because breathing is survival, but yeah. also we're not like, God, you know what I need to do? I need to breathe more. Cause uh, I'm not breathing enough. Like right. if you weren't breathing enough, we know what happens. Right. Also God literally rested. <laughs> like, that's the God, whole... God was like, and scene. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, I'll be over here. I'll be in my trailer. If anyone needs me, why not? You're 100% right. Yeah. And so the whole thing about like, well, can I really rest? It's like, oh, are you more important than God? The one who made everything, redeemed (laughs) us and sustains us every day, takes a break every once in a while. Who do you think you are? (laughs) That actually, that like, you know, the thing that probably broke me of my literalism was I was like, God just took a day off. Nah, that's got to be symbolic. Like, I was like, nah, I don't buy it. So that's fun. I'm so glad you brought that up because it just speaks right to my own nonsense. Yeah. (laughs) Kira, what have you been listening to? Okay, I'm so excited to talk about this. (laughs) Should have started 20 minutes ago. I know. Um, Casey Musgraves' new album dropped this past week. And it is... um, 
you know, she went through a divorce. And so this is kind of like the divorce album. Um, I'm, you know, I like it a lot. I find it a little, maybe like overproduced for my particular taste, but like, it's full of sad bops, which are my favorite. Mm, Um, I like, I'm envious retrospectively because there are some albums that have come out in the last few years. This one included um, the Chicks Gaslighter album, just some real like fire divorce albums. Like Mm. nobody should have broke these women's hearts because they are just getting roasted in song. I'm and I am telling you, Adele's next album is going to be Fuego. Fire! It's going to be. I can't. Oh, when when I found out she got a divorce, I had two thoughts. One, so she's available, and because because obviously, and because I'm an awful person, and two, I was like, this album is gonna be amazing, right? Like, so I'm very envious that these albums weren't out in 2017 when, when you I were going through your big, divorce. big divorce. Oh my gosh, you're right. You're like, where were these? Yeah. So I I um, you know, they're also there's also non you know they're not necessarily related to divorce, divorcing, breakups, whatever. Um, there, there's also just some lovely, lovely songs, lovely sentiments. And I could, I would just listen to Casey Musgraves, you know, read the phone book. So, um, also you're saying that she's available. This is good knowledge for people. Yeah. I'm happily married, but for others, it's good to know she's on the market. I'm happily married, but unfortunately, I just think it's great that next time you get a divorce, you'll have all this music and ready to go. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Would not, not wish that not experience funny. on anybody. Like <laughs> I think our scriptures this Sunday are all about, it's the whole don't get divorced thing this Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be fun to preach. I'm not preaching uh, this Sunday. So yeah, I'm actually, I mean, in terms of speaking of rest, um, somehow I'm man, I managed to get a five week break from preaching. Wow. Yeah. Man. So I've got two seminarians from Sewanee yeah. at my church this semester and the bishop visited last semester, last week or this past Sunday. And, uh, I was gone a Sunday. So, um, I'm actually, I love preaching again, like something I really enjoy doing. Um, getting a little break though is, is kind of yeah. nice. Yeah. I'm looking forward to not preaching this Sunday actually. Um, so but what I have you been listening to? What have I been listening to? Oh, Oh, there's a new Bob Dylan box set out from like from from outtakes from 1980 to 1985, which is like one of his worst periods of music. And I've got five discs of it. And it's great. I love it. And there's a bunch of outtakes and stuff that like part of the reason a lot of his stuff sucked in the 80s was the production and the way that it chose to be put out and and him literally like making sorry to say this about literally one of the great geniuses of our time making some bad decisions because he literally is like. Um, no, I, I'm not gonna put that on the album. I'll put it on the album like this. And you're like, oh, that was better. Like you made a, so there's like less produced kind of like more, that makes me very happy. I've been very happy to listen to that. Um, I went to the symphony mm. and I saw Beethoven's fourth piano concerto. Ugh. Oh, love a piano and was, concerto. And it was my first, and it was my first time at the symphony since the beginning of the, of the hellscape. And um, and this beautiful young uh, Russian man, Daniel Trifonov, just genius, genius piano player, and the and the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, my my people, I love them, and it just it was just stunningly beautiful. And I, anyway, that was great. Um, 
And then be, but that's the Dylan thing has been sort of, I've been inundating myself with, with, with that particular uh, Dylan box set. I also was listening to that chicks album. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I don't know them well. I, um, you know, I was, I was a Republican back when they pissed everybody off. Yes. So um, I didn't, I didn't listen. I was, I, I, I'm part of the, I was part of the people who said, we don't believe in cancel culture, but won't, but canceled a bunch of people. I was one yeah. of them. So, so, uh, so I'm kind of like learning about them now and, and checking them out now, retrospectively. Mm-hmm. Um, also in 2000, I wasn't at all in that era, 2001, 2002, I wasn't at all ready for country music. It just, I didn't have a place for it. Right. And so now I'm like, bring on Casey Musgraves, bring on the chicks. Let's do this. I'm in a different headspace than I was then musically. Um, yeah. So, so that's, I think the big things. Um, and I've been and I've been jumping back in every once in a while. One of my one of my go to albums, like top ten, right? Desert Island albums is mm-hmm. the Buena Vista Social Club soundtrack. Oh man, such it's just <laughs> every song. Every song I love um, cooking to that sound, like putting that on. That's what and, I like, guess in the kitchen. And just, like dancing dun, around the kitchen. Dun. and you're just like it's it's on it's it's on like let's do this i want to go to cuba it's not a good reason like you don't just go to cuba because of one soundtrack (laughs) although to be fair i minored in italian in college and almost became fluent and went and lived there for a semester and when people asked me why i took it oh so you're italian i said no you have italian family no why'd you take italian i said um, I wanted to be able to listen to uh, Louis, like listen to Louis Primo when he sang in Italian, and and I wanted to watch The Godfather without subtitles. And people looked at me and they were like, "That's the least impressive thing anyone has ever said. You went, you minored in a language. You minored in a language for that reason." And I was like, "Yeah, is that a bad reason?" So going to Cuba because of a soundtrack is completely within the realm of my stupid life. Hey, no, I think that that soundtrack has that effect on, at least it has that effect on me. Yeah. I won't speak of mm. for everyone, mm. but. I don't know what okay. this is, but it's how my heart feels when I think about it. Yes. Well, we are, we we've gone long, great conversation. Um, I don't know what we might talk about next week. Something hopefully just as exciting and invigorating, um, but also get some rest. So until next time we are, are you there, God? It's Kira and Phil. Bye now.